You're listening to Bloom in Tech with David Bloom. This podcast sponsored by Fabric Media in Venice, California. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Bloom in Tech. I'm your host, David Bloom, and delighted once again to be sharing with you all the golden nuggets of wisdom and uh, learning and intuition that have occurred to my little tiny brain here in the middle of the uh, end of the second decade of the millennium. We had a really fun session I wanted to share with you from a produced by conference a week and a half ago or so. I already put up the conversation between Mindy Kaling and Nancy Myers, which was thoughtful and wonderful, and they're great, and I was really impressed by both of them. I kind of expected to be. This session was, I have to say, a lot more rollicking, a lot more informal, a lot considerably less earnest and um, serious because it's two old pals who've been working together for 50 years, Danny DeVito and Michael Douglas, uh, as production partners, as people who have performed in each other's movies as uh, that they've produced and directed, et cetera, et cetera. They've, got, uh, they've been involved in more stuff together than I think I certainly realize, and probably most people realize, and the fact that they've been at it for more than half a century is sort of incredible. It's quite entertaining. I really strongly recommend you listen to the whole thing. I quite enjoyed it, and everybody else in the crowd did too. Anyway, after a quick word from our sponsor, here it is. And now, Danny DeVito and Michael Douglas talking about producing projects such as Romancing the Stone and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and working on Taxi and working on the streets of San Francisco and mentors and pals and all the challenges and transformations that they've seen over half a century in Hollywood and film and TV. I think it's a great conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks. It's a comfy chair. Oh, I like it. Mm-hmm. We gotta hold the mics. Can you go? We got a better. No, this is like 2019. Ready to work? Just want to check out where they're at. Holding something else? Yes, at this, at this hour in the morning. Um, do we have to do that? So, listen, welcome, and this is a great opportunity. I'll give a read. Danny and I have known each other more than 50 years. You know, talking about producing and all that, but so much about producing is about trust and also friendships and, and, and connections. So we want to spend a couple minutes talking about our, our history. Yeah. We met in 1966 in the summer. Uh, I was going to college at the University of California at Santa Barbara, and I had a summer job at the Eugene O'Neill Memorial Theater in Waterford, Connecticut for the National Playwrights Conference. And I was just working construction with getting like small gigs and stuff. And it turned out to be a magical time because at that time it was Sam Shepard, Israel Horowitz, Radford Wilson, tremendous number of, of writers. Anyway, so we, uh, one of the summer I'm constructing and this, uh, this group, the American Academy of Dramatic Arts comes up. And we were out in London, Connecticut, right here, right by the sound. 
this guy, and I see this guy walking up to me, he's got like long hair. You know, I know. Hair. <laughs> it was long. It was long. And he looks up to me and he goes, hi. And I go, hi. And they look at each other for a minute and says, you get high? I said, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, so, you know, I was on the road with a play from doing all the Connecticut thing with from just me American Academy. And I knew some of the people in the play, but I didn't know everybody. So I had a little bit of stash with me. I tried. <laughs> and and uh, you know, and you know, you, you run out, man, and you look and you go to the next place, you see, like, let me look at this crab, who's in this crab that might smoke pot. <laughs> The, the, the whole construction thing, this was funny. Because all the actors, he was a resident actor, for, he was from UCSB, and they were doing plays, and reading plays, very valuable for producers, very valuable for actors, and great for playwrights, of course. That's the Eugene O'Neill Foundation. What they were doing was building an amphitheater, and they recruited the actors who were there, resident actors, to help do things. I came in for a couple days, and it was outdoor work, you know, lugging cinder blocks, doing the thing. Then you'd go read plays under a really beautiful, shady tree, and you get to read, uh, you know, plays by John Guare and all the people that Michael was mentioning. And, and so, but I, I wanted to get out there and do the thing. So we were out there doing that, and soon it got tiring. You know, lugging bricks and moving shit around and everything. And somebody said beer running. I said, I'll go. And he said, I'll go. Now, I didn't have a vehicle. He had a motorcycle. So now you got to picture this. So I go, okay, I'm going to come. And then we go, you know, and on the way over, I would look at each other. You get high, yeah, I get high. Okay. When is that beer coming back? <laughs> These guys would be dead by the time the beer comes back. We went out, got on the motorcycle, went and got the beer, you know, stopped off, looked at the scenery, got loaded. <laughs> Came back with the beer. I was sandwiching the beer between me and Michael, hanging off at Deer Life, and he's driving through the streets. We got, we got back, we had a really nice time. That was our first basic first drug meeting. <laughs> there were many, many more. So what was the, what was the first lesson I learned? Well, the, the irony was that we were there for a playwrights conference, and the actors were there to serve, service these plays. And what you learned as an actor is that you were reading the lines of these playwrights, and then you were making adjustments based upon how the readings went or how the show went. And I think this instilled in both of us in the beginning of our careers that the play is the thing, the material is the thing. Actors are interchangeable, a lot of possible actors, but your content is what is by far the most important vehicle. And then I think this carried through for us for most all of our career. We continued then on. Uh, Dan came out and visited me a couple of times. He was anxious to play in, in Cold Blood. You we were doing some off-Broadway shows. We then became roommates in New York. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, the, we had the thing here. Yeah, this was good. We had the thing where, okay, like we had, it was a big apartment. It was on 89th Street between West End and Riverside. It was, I think it was, it may have been, uh, it was one big one room. One big one room and a bathroom and a hallway. And so, you know, and it was a, 
there were a couple beds in it, you know, like, you know, it's a dorm room, basically. So we had to have the tie thing. You know, where if you got a girl in there, you put the tie. You know, you put the tie, and the other person, which usually was me, was sucking wind all night, you know, riding a bus. He was like a big magnet. I mean, there's so many women going through that place. But it was okay because, you know, every once in a while, you know, if I showed up, you know, I'd, I'd form a relationship with one of the runoffs. <laughs> Is that a sexist thing to say? I'm sorry. No. It's just a sexy thing to say. Okay. So, uh, anyway, careers are off and running. You're doing some off-Broadway stuff. Um, I'm trying to get my floor of the cuckoo's nest done. I'm now started this television series, Streets of San Francisco, in San Francisco. Once again, we're doing 26 one-hour episodes a season, working six days a week, this is on location, and I'm learning a whole lot about material. Because again, it's all about these new shows coming in one after another. And as it turned out, I will always be indebted to my mentor, Carl Malden, who was an extraordinary leader to me and a very great man who had a work ethic coming out of Gary, Indiana. It was incredible. So we would work, every time between shots, would work on next week's episode. And as a result, our shows were like, the writers hated us because our scripts were like six pages longer simply because we picked up our cues. Simply because we didn't have a television pace because we really knew our stuff and was going on. Same time, I'm working on trying to get Cuckoo's Nest made Finally, we get it set up with my partner, Saul Zantz, and Milo Schwarman's the director, and we go to get casting. And who is the first person we cast? <laughs> I tell Milo, she knows there's a guy in New York who's doing the off-Broadway production of Cuckoo's Nest, who's playing the part of Martini. And you gotta see him. So we went to New York, and there he is. Didn't say yes. And Danny was the first person cast in one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Thank you. <laughs> so we had a uh, had an ex extraordinary experience. Uh, Matt, I think you all learned a lot about casting uh, and the importance of casting. We were able to have an extra six months because we were waiting for Jack Nicholson to get off on the picture. I spent that much more time in the casting process, of which Danny, you went through from the very beginning with all yeah. the groups. Tell them a little bit like about a little, the casting process. The, the great thing is, like the whole idea, of, like, and it's it's all you know, uh, you learn. That's the whole idea. You hang around, you learn, you see what it is. You you see what the producer's going through. You see what the director's role and what the everything's going through with the you have the script. We, we all know this, but the idea was I was getting a first-hand look at like. The whole deal. Because back in the 60s, when I'd come visit Michael in the California, we met in 60, what, 4, 6, 11, I used to come out here. I didn't know what the hell was going on out here. You talk about nudies. What? Nudies. Oh, no, I'm not talking about nudies. The nudie stuff I can always do. They want to hear about the serious stuff. Uh, so, like, I, 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 I actually experienced the, like, the Kirk Douglas. Um, uh, wanted to do Cuckoo's Nest for many, many years. He did it off on Broadway. 
He tried to get the movie made. It was sitting there. Michael knew was there, knew this all this time, but was smart enough that at the time when Kesey's book was taking off in the, in the early, late 60s, early 70s, with all the universities and all the advent of drug uh, rehabilitation, and they took all the people out of the hospitals and put them on the streets, and it was like just ludicrous. Kesey's book started uh, becoming majorly relevant. That's when Michael jumped on it, brought in Saul Zane. So you understand that kind of sensibility, that it is a place where you're, as a producer, you're always looking for that material. He found it, he went after it, and he, and he got bit. Now the thing about my casting experience is that Milo Schwarman, the way he cast the movie was really unique. He, he brought me and, and about six or eight other people up into the Harlequin Studios in New York, and it's just one flight up in a, in a bare studio, and he played the big nurse. Okay, so he improvised with all of us. So what he was looking for, he was casting the movie. He was looking for behavioral patterns, how we work together, how we improvise together, what was, how it all fit together. So that's a, that's a sign, what, what I saw in Michael at that time was that he found the right director, he trusted the right director, and he, he did not, I know you had a, a lot of input into the whole thing of Milos says, okay, we want to cast um, uh, Louise Fletcher as the big nurse. Louise Fletcher hadn't done a lot of stuff, but she was the right person for the part. He wanted her. Uh, any other producer might say, well, wait a minute, let's get somebody who's got this big uh, name recognition or whatever. She's right for the part. She was great for that part. And the producers and the director recognize that. And so that's like a kind of a thing that you, you learn, that you have to, you know, you put your two cents in, you have to be there for everybody to support them. But you have to really understand when you're making, when your director's making the right choice. So the next time you produce a movie that I'm directing, just defer to me. That's what <laughs> so uh, that was a big moment for all of us. For you, after that, you went off uh, and did Taxi. Uh, an, amazing, uh, an amazing run. And uh, I think you probably learned a, a lot out of that, which you can probably talk about in a second when I'm finished. Uh, and, uh, Have I interrupted you? <laughs> all right. I did a couple things. <laughs> and then we come to, uh, for me, we came to Romancing the Stone. And, uh, which, again, was a wonderful story in the fact that a woman, Diane Thomas, uh, wrote her first screenplay, which was just a spectacular screenplay, which um, I had a deal in a studio and paid a lot of money, the studio did, for this screenplay. And everybody was sort of accusatory about why would you possibly pay, pay a first-time screenwriter so much money. And I didn't care if it was the first or the last. It was really good. And ultimately, it was going to cost a lot less in terms of rewrites and, and whatnot. But it was, a, it was a wonderful combination of kind of a, a romantic adventure. But I really felt that comedy was going to be an integral part. So as excited as I was with Kathleen doing it, and um, I, I played it again, I was producing it, and I tried to get two or three other name actors uh, to play the part who had passed. And mind you, I, I just have to preface this, 
the change on one side, it won the Oscar for Cuckoo's Nest, so I was an Academy Awarding producer. As an actor, I was still trying to make the transition out of television into feature films. Because at that time, before me, really only Steve McQueen, Clint Eastwood, had been the only guys who had been able to make this transition. For you know, television, they see you for free. Movies, they have to pay to see you. So I was fortunate <laughs> to get in. But my point is that Danny DeVito made that part, and in large part made that movie. The comedy that he brought to Romancing the Stone wasn't necessarily on the page. He came up with so much physical humor that was made this picture so magical in terms of com combining romantic adventure, romantic adventure with comedy. So I will always be indebted to the great job that Danny did. Not only for that, but for being down in Mexico with us. Oh yeah, in Mexico. Okay, but I wanted to just say about, about Romancing the Stone that was uh, like uh, one little quick. This has got to do with like how good a producer Michael is. Really seriously, he he, uh, you like he said, he he wanted to get the picture done. He really invested his time and his and his energy into uh, the, the the screenwriter big time because nobody you know it's like really had it. I can imagine you can imagine you go in with a screenplay to the studio and you got you pushing this thing. Uh, person who's never done anything before. And so he's still behind a really big time. I got the part, I was like thrilled to do this. I was, it was, it was after the, it was around that time, after Taxi. And, and I was like, I was like, you know, the same thing. I was a big star on television, all that kind of stuff. You know, blah, blah, blah. It was really fun. I had a hell of a time on Taxi. It was one of the best experiences. Five years of bliss on that show, I had a ball, and you know, every day doing all the stuff Michael was talking about, being there with the screenwriters and the, and the television writers and whatever. But I remember this one thing. This was a real key thing for me as a producer, okay? We had done the movie, and uh, they were editing and doing all the stuff they had to do, get it ready, the movie was done, and um, they showed the movie, okay? and screen the movie. And I had no idea this was going to happen, I swear to God. My name was above the title. Okay? That's my buddy over there. <laughs> I was, I, it was like, at that time, night, when was the movie? 78. At that time, where a guy, come, I had done After Taxi, I did Romance, I mean, you know, I did, uh, I think I might have done Terms of Endearment. Right where I was in that with Sherilyn McLean and all that, but not broken through like as a, a movie actor, uh, so to speak. We would have said he put my name above the title, and that was like a big, big, big thing—a decision that a producer can make with the director and the studio and everybody. Okay, I did bring value to it. I had a big television following, but still, you didn't have to do that. That was a really great thing for me. Okay, that's that's one thing. smoke up your ass all day. <laughs> I'm just saying that I want to just talk about producing, because that's about producing. That's about getting people to come to see your movie. What's the best choice? It's got how are you going to get people in the seats? That was the big thing. Now, I wanted to direct, and so I, at that time, I was working on a, somebody offered me a pilot for television. So I was 
I gave like a whole legal pad of notes, you know, to the writer. The writer was kind of hotsy totsy at the time, right? <laughs> and and I was just an, I'd never directed a, a pilot before. So I'm in the Paramount Commissary, and I'm looking at this, and I'm with a couple people, I'm looking at this guy, and this guy is looking at my notes like they are dog shit. <laughs> okay, it's like just, he's dissing me like mad, right? It was like, okay, the phone, a woman comes up to me from the staff and says, Mr. DeVito, you have a phone call. This is swear to God. It's him, right? He doesn't know what I'm doing. It's just Michael. He's saying, oh man, this, the Royce Stone is so great. We're gonna go on the road and we're gonna promote the movie. And I said, what do you mean we're going on the road to promote the movie? He says, you know, we're gonna go do the junket and the this and the that. I'd never heard of this before, right? And I said, what do you mean, when? He said, that two weeks we're going. I said, holy shit, this is like God giving me a gift. <laughs> I go out to the guy and say, look, I'm sorry, I got to have to I had to bow out. I went to the promotional tour for a promotion song. I had more fun than I ever had in my life. <laughs> we sold a movie. That's a producer, see? Okay, so that's all. That's my story. <laughs> brought us to the possibility of the first time and the lessons you learned of doing a sequel. Um, and so the studio was very happy. We all were romance in the stone and thought about let's do a sequel. And that was Jewel of the Night. Now, a couple of things that happened. Kathleen Turner had become a big star after romancing the stone and she was perceived as, you know, off and running. And I had a contract uh, with Kathleen for a second uh, a second picture. And we got our script together um, and I contacted her and I said, well, okay, it's all good, we're gonna go. And she said, when are you gonna go? And she said, I told her the date, she said, I can't do that. Uh, I have another, another picture. Happened to be, I think it was Steven Spielberg's picture about the house that the uh, that got destroyed. I can't remember the picture of what it's called. What's it called? Anybody know? I don't know. The house fell down. The house fell down. <laughs> <laughs> but I said, I, I said, house fell down. So I said, well, I'm, I'm sorry, but we're, we're, we're going to go ahead and, uh, you know, we got a contract. And she said, well, I don't care because I got a contract. I don't want to do it. I don't think the script's ready. I said, trust me, the script will be ready, Kathleen. But I don't want to do it. We got into a lawsuit. And uh, she hired Roy Cohen. Was, what? Uh, Roy Cohen was her Holy shit! <laughs> that was exactly Roy my Cohen. reaction. <laughs> that was what exactly my reaction. Individual that guy was. <laughs> so we go off, and the picture's going to be done in uh, in Morocco. <clears throat> so we're in a, in a in a studio. It looks like I'm going to win, and Kathleen's going to come there, but at the time, not very happily. This is like the demise of the, of the, of the karma of, of the sequel. And lo and behold, while I'm doing pre-production uh, in, uh, in Morocco, um, we have a plane crash. 
and I lose six of my crew members. My production designer, my art director, assistant director, uh, two weeks before the picture starts. Um, lost a, a good portion of my crew. So, And the movie starts with us not being able to even get the, the widows are all there on opening days of the picture trying to get their husbands respectively home. Um, Kathleen is not happy. Uh, Danny, uh, thank goodness, you and we were getting along pretty good, and yeah. Yeah, you're getting along good. <laughs> yes, we were. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, a, it was a rugged start, and I was so grateful for this guy. Well, I brought my, I, I just had, uh, Gracie was just born, my two, she was two. No, she was just born, Lucy was two. So I had the two kids, this was really, oh God. I said to Michael, I said, he, he said, you coming down, you coming down, going to Fez, Morocco. Yeah, I'm coming, coming. So I'm a doting father, I got two kids, one of them is like weeks old, the other one is two years old, and I, I had like, I don't know, 10 or 12 refrigerator box sizes of stuff that I wanted to bring because I didn't know, you know, I had like, I don't know, 600 diapers. <laughs> I had like peanut butter. I had, who the hell knew where Morocco was? I didn't know where And I had a seersucker jacket on, this like striped seersucker jacket and a little hat. And I had all these boxes that wound up in Casablanca. And there were guys with guns and everything. I said, where the fuck did he take me? <laughs> what is this place? And, and I go, I'll bring this stuff. They had a truck. He sent a truck for all the stuff. So we took the, tr the truck, loaded up. I had videotapes. They thought I was black marketing. Uh, I said, yeah, I got cartoons for the kids. What are you going to do with them? You put them in front of a television show. I had, I had tape. Like, I don't know, a hundred Sesame Streets. <laughs> and I put it on, you know what I mean? Clock, cereal, look. You know, that's it. You know, that's a parent raising. I mean, child raising. Anyway, they, they put us in... Uh, in beautiful. The, 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 the Palais Jamais. beautiful place. And one, oh, one of the great things was, you know, I had never been to... I didn't travel a little bit. Been around once in a while. Never read we went to a place like this. Go, go down there. He brings. We had sh we shot there. We did all of that. Then we go to like what? we. Oh, we. But wait, wait a minute. We go to a party. The first night in to bring all the crew together. We had the VP. We had Yon de Bont. We had like and then Yon de Bont's wife was this very sexy uh, uh, film star in in. Uh, Poland or whatever, she was like really talented. She was very hot at the time in a lot of ways. <laughs> and uh, I met her, you know, at the party, and everybody was there. Rita was there. And, you know, there's a lot of people, everybody's saying hello, have a cocktail, like the producers. You put together a little party for the crew to, to introduce everybody. So I wasn't working the next day, I was going to go to the swimming pool. So I said, you know, Rita's got the kids up there and everything. And I said, I'm going to go take a swim. I, I put my swimming trunks on, I get a towel, I go down, I go to the pool. Every woman at the pool was topless. Morocco. <laughs> <laughs> I never saw her in my life. I almost fell in the pool. I couldn't, I was like, I'm from New Jersey. <laughs> it's not 
up the picture in the desert. Little sex talk. We're in, uh, we're in June. We're in June in Wazazat, in the desert. It's in June. It's 115 degrees. I have maybe I have 106 foreign crew members from like 12 different countries working on a crew, and people are getting to get sick. Now, the temperature, the temperature, this and that. And we had the health service come down from the capital. And they tell me, I think you've got a case of hepatitis on your crew here. And I said, we were, we were three days away from filming, finished filming in Morocco to go to France. And he said, I think you have some case of hepatitis. And I'm afraid that we're going to have to quarantine the company for six weeks. And I said, I said, that's going to take us into August, 125 degrees, we've got to see, we're all, we're all done. And I said, well, what, what, I don't know what to do. He said, well, two and a half million dollars. Oh. And uh, at that time, we did what was called a negative pickup with the studio, which was originally, before I leave, I make a, a, a thorough budget and everything. Uh, I give to the studio. They agree upon the budget, and then I take that, their approval to a bank, and I get the money to make the film. Right. Um, so, but this situation, so uh, I call the studio, and I said, listen, I got a real problem here. And, and I tell the situation, I say, well, I guess you do. Thank you so much. So, uh, and then I call, I call our embassy in, in Morocco. And I explained the situation of being held up. And they said, well, now you know the difference between a democracy and a monarchy. <laughs> well, thank you, too. <laughs> so, we didn't really have a place. No, as it turned out, somebody was sick. There was a food poisoning issue. So finally, I, I really was at wit's end. And I thought, this is it. This is my Waterloo. And then, you know those big... Russian transport planes, the illusion for the entire nose opens up to a, a plane around. They have tanks, they have trunks, tanks yeah. going up into them and all of that. So I booked one out of France, along with a 737. <laughs> and I called the head of customs from Morocco. They come down and meet us at this airport, this little airport in the desert. And I said, uh, listen, we're going to be leaving now. Figuring one department may not know what the other one's doing. We're going to leave right now. I want to thank you very much. We gave them a little envelope of gratitude. And I said, I have one last favor. I said, certainly, could you make this airport an international airport for about two hours? <laughs> and he said, yes. He contacted the plane in the sky. They came in. This enormous pollution came in. We opened it up. We drove the Chapman crane, the costume oh truck, we put everything right up into the plane. The crew got on the 737, and it was too hot to take off. Oh. We had to wait there, we were sitting there, waiting there, like the cavalry, waiting. And finally, got the sunset, got cooler. We took off, arrived in Nice. Where are your papers? He said, I don't care, arrest me, sue me, I'm not going <laughs> and, uh, and we finished the picture. <laughs> our story to, the, to the, the next time when Danny calls me up one time he said, my God, I got a script I'm working on. Uh, you know, I love you. Wait, 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 take a look at it. Maybe get some ideas. So he, he, he said, he said, just love your, your input. 
So he sends me this script that's called The War of the Roses. And uh, I read it. Michael Leeson, may he rest in peace, who, who wrote it. And uh, it's, 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 it's really good. And I think there's a part that I can play. <laughs> but he's never I said producer, see, I suckered him in, basically. I said, oh, give me some notes on this. Uh, I knew the part was perfect for him. He's an actor. He's going to go crazy when he reads this. <laughs> Lured him in. Go ahead. <laughs> I mean, the first time he's hearing it, I lured him. <laughs> well, I think the, the beauty of this point is this would have right. been this is the third time that Danny and I and Kathleen worked together. Yeah. And so going back to the beginning, this whole talk about friendships and the ensemble, I realize now or then how crucial and how much more fun it is when you're working with people that you know yeah. and your friends. There's a there's a there's a, a, a shortcut. Uh, as actors, you don't mind overlapping each other. You're not worried about anybody being offended. You're all really much more comfortable with each other. And um, it was a, a tough shoot, uh, to say the least. This guy was a taskmaster. He has a perfection eye. But I always knew, even back in the very beginning, Danny was a great director. I always knew he was a good actor, but he'd be a great director. And that was a, that was a wonderful Thank experience. You. Thank you. Yeah, and it's also like, it was a great thing when, when Michael said, you know, that he'd love to play the part. And I said, yeah, great. This is great. And I wonder who I can get to play the other part. Uh, and he said something like, if you don't offer this to Kathleen, she's going to castrate you. <laughs> and I said, I think I should offer it to Kathleen. And, 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 uh, but the great thing was it, it allowed me, you know, I was in like, you know, the, the whole throes of this whole fact of bringing, you know, this all together. I'm lucky with the script because that's the way it is. Like Michael was saying earlier, it's really about the material and about how you handle it and all that is very important. But the material is the thing and, and we were lucky to have that screenplay. The thing is that I got to be Fritz Lang, you know, I got to do like, you know, he did uh, Scarlet Street with the same cast. He did Woman in the Window with the same cast. You know, he had, he had Joan Bennett and, and Dan Durier and, and uh, Edward G. Robinson. And so now I have this incredible gift. I've got a great screenplay, I've got people who support it, and I've got Michael and Kathleen. How could you go wrong? Of course, I killed him in the end. <laughs> oh shit, did I move through the movie for you? <laughs>in June of 2019. Really fantastic stuff. I hope you're enjoying it. Here you go. So I guess our, our message really is about the material, which I'm taking up recently. Um, a couple of years ago, my agents sent me a, a script um, for a television series. I didn't know much about streaming. Uh, called The Kaminsky Method. And it was... Uh, 
by Chuck Lorre. Um, and Jesus, it was really good. It was really good writing. And then I realized this phenomenon has happened with the streaming area, which first of all has allowed all of the, the talent, writers, directors, producers, uh, uh, everybody, creatively, so many more outlets and assets. And this is the first time since the beginnings of our career where it's been easier to go from film into so-called television, although I think it's probably going to be called something else in the, uh, in the near future, effortlessly, where one can go back and forth like never, uh, never before. And once again, it was the value of really good writing and being cast uh, very well. So we just finished our, our second season uh, of the Kaminsky Method. Uh, I hope you'll all see it. It doesn't come out until uh, probably until October. But um, I've been very happy about it. And you, sir, have been busy yourself right now. You, may, you talking to me? I am. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, uh, we start Sunny next week. It's our 14th season. <laughs> and again, it's not about but the idea is that, that, that those guys, Charlie, Robin, Glenn, and all the other writers that work on it, and Caitlin, they, they really put their heart and soul into the, script, into the scripts. We have really wonderful, funny, crazy scripts, and, and we have a ball. And I want to say, like last year, I did a, a guest starring part on the Kaminsky Method, and I, I had a great time. It was like, it was really, really wonderful. I don't know if anybody has, has seen it. I, I played uh, I played Michael's uh, urologist. <laughs> so it was the first time that I ever got paid for sticking my finger up his ass. <laughs> I, I couldn't have enough. We didn't have enough lubriderm in the house. And you know, you know, we're in a lawsuit right right now, Michael and I, because I'm trying to get my watch back. <laughs> uh, It's good. We, we do a lot of stuff, but thank goodness that we can have. The thing about it is, like, I guess what it is, it's like really wanting to go to work. You really You love the business so much. I know we both do. I know that we both, you know, uh, we love our families and we love our friends and we dig partying and having a good time. But boy, getting up in the morning, going to work as a producer, you got to hunt for that material, you got to look for that stuff. You got to try to make those relationships work. It is friendship. It is relationships. It's all about keeping in touch and being with people that you care about. You, you accumulate if you're fortunate enough to, to work with people over and over again, like we, like Michael and I have. Then you know it really it adds to the joy that we already feel about the film business and the TV business. So. We're opening it up to you guys. Anybody have any questions or areas that we haven't covered? We're happy to uh, uh, talk Who's about. Who's going to pick the person? Thank you so much. Who's going to pick the... We yeah, there we go. We are. All right. Okay. <laughs> Woman in a swimsuit in the middle of the... <laughs> right, wait for a microphone to come to you. He's going right in front. Who's got Who's going right here? This, this gentleman on the right. A lady on the right. right here. Yeah, the gentleman on the right. Yeah, right there. Right. And then she, she could go next. Then we'll go to the other rows. Right, I gave you a mic, so I guess I'm going to ask you a question. This is for Danny DeVito. Wait a minute. <laughs>
shit. All right, you, you go. You go. I was going to say, man, you should be on America's Got
I'm paid to just look at you and act with you. I have blinders on. I don't have to know anything else that's going on. And everybody makes sure of that. If I'm a producer, I have to have a 360-degree vision. I have to be able to know everything else that's going on. And so having a few pictures, some of which we've talked about, Romancing the Stone in Mexico, or things, huge production problems and everything else, which totally distract from you as an actor, and alienate your cast members, too, because they know you're thinking about other stuff. The micro stuff you talked about, the Jeffries, I'm not really familiar with it uh, yet. I mean, I, I kind of get the idea from Snapchat and all of this and looking at little films. And you actually had a whole series that you were doing for a while ago. Did you? The idea of like that, that uh, I think the way I understand what, what uh, Mr. Katzenberg is doing, I understand that uh, uh, it's about a, a couple things, about the writing. How you how you're gonna write those little incremental things that mean that that make a whole piece, which is a really interesting task for somebody. You know, as a writer, I'm sure a lot of writers would love to try to do that. And I don't know if they have to be cliffhangers; they just have to be really interesting pieces. And I imagine the way he's going to do that is, to, I think I understand the way he's going to do that is to uh, stream them out, like in and people are going to watch like. 10 minute things or 8 minute things and get interested in like I, like I don't think it's a, I think it's a, a really interesting challenge for everybody and I, the way I look at it in our business the more avenues that we have to explore as producers and writers and as actors and as directors the better I mean let's let's try to look I love going to see a, you know movie on the big screen just like everybody else and I try to go out to see all those movies but I catch up on things on on airplanes, and I'm sorry. I I, I look I look at them on my uh, on my TV and stuff like that, and, and have a really good time because I'm closer to the popcorn, and I can make it. Anybody <laughs> <laughs> uh, else? Yeah. Hi, I have one here. Can you guys hear me? Yes, yeah. we can. Uh, hi, thanks for being here. Yeah. first from an actor's point of view. There you go. <laughs> you want to get an interview in the morning. 
Okay, you want to get interviewed in the morning. And I take that even further into pitch ideas and everything else. Um, something that has to do with my age, but just generally, things tend to go downhill after lunch. They really do. There's just a, there's, there's a, a lack of freshness. So you have a couple things. You have either the concept that you can actually and you know, capture it like that. Um, you have to be uh, courteous and maintain a degree of energy. I mean, it, it's really a reflection of who you're dealing with. A, a lot of executives uh, now, uh, be behavior, be behavior is atrocious. Yeah. The behavior is really bad. Uh, I, I must say that, and if I can tell you that, yeah. Yeah. I'm telling you that I can imagine what a lot of people are going through. They, yeah. they, it's, it's not, well, it's not, it's not, it's not, yeah, not accepted. This is all, this is a, it's popular, this, this uh, that, 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 the atrocious behavior. <laughs> See, we, we were we were out of out of generation. This is one of the good things about streaming. Uh, I mean, just my experiences with Netflix, which have been generally that it's like the seventies and eighties in the movies. Mm -hmm. They trusted the filmmakers; they leave you alone unless there was a problem. Yep. You, you didn't hear a lot. They, 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 they just go do it. But nowadays, studio executives, for some reason, appear to think they know a lot more uh, than anybody else, and we're we're constantly shown. Um, you know, uh, different things. I mean, I'm thinking Jordan Peele's last movie, Ma, and everything else, and uh, how it was perceived, contrary to what people thought was going to happen. So I don't think you have to change, you have to maintain your, your decorum and your behavior and, and, and your patience, and you can't do anything about the executive. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's really a bad thing. I, got, I have an advanced team that goes to the uh, studio to make sure there are no ferns. <laughs> I won't go into a room with a fern. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm a delicate creature. You may not go ahead. Is the lady here? Oh. Which lady? You raise your hand here. I don't know. I can't tell who's got microphones. I'm, okay. I'm really loud. I don't know. Okay. Here you go. Okay. So my question, gentlemen. Hi, thank you. Gentlemen, so my question is about how you transitioned. You talked about being actors, and you became a producer, and eventually became a director. And I'm curious about your experience in when you started that next step, and how people treated you then, and how did they, did they mentor? Did they help you, or were they waiting for you, unfortunately, to fail? Even though you didn't, thank God, but, you well, know? I, let me say. From the very beginning of going to school, when I met Michael back in the 60s, when I was at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts, I always wanted to be a director as well. So I always thought about the business as a whole. I did want to act. I didn't see myself as Cary Grant. I knew the, the, the idea. I don't know. Maybe you do. But I, I, I was thinking, like, you know, we got very, very fortunate to get a taxi because that is like Michael was saying in terms of that that kind of uh, almost graduate school of it all where you're with the writers and the, you're with the producers and you're with the director and you're with the cast for a con concentrated time and you hang around and you learn and you understand it and you say well okay this the first time I wanted to really direct was when I saw the Battle of Algiers upon a Cordoba movie because there's no actors in it it's all you know it's just like there, there, I mean, there's no documentary footage in it. It's all actors, but it feels like a documentary. What is it that they do? So you got to ask those questions. Now, I'm, uh, you know, it's just a matter of like, if you're if you're an actress and you want to direct, and you're, you 
actor, director you want to produce, you have to exhibit all of that interest. And it's very difficult because it's like, you know, it's a, it's, but you have to have as much passion for each one of those things and, and eventually the truth will out. You people will see you for what you, how much passion and how much desire you have and your talent will come out. They'll see it and you'll be successful. I think um, your television is, is just so important. I, I look back when I was doing it, I did 104 hours the streets of San Francisco, 104 episodes, 104 hours. Different, different writers, different cast, different directors. And if you keep your eyes open, what's an hour show? An hour show is shot in, in, in uh, 52 minutes, shot in six days. It's a little mini movies. What I'm doing now with Kaminsky Method is half hour, half hour of streaming can be 20 minutes long, 40 minutes long. But you were the cast, so you're, you're aware of your script and your cast and all the things that if you pay attention, make you a better pr producer. In my situation, you know, I, I, I hit the jackpot first time out, got five Oscars, and on one level, I had a different problem because I was an Academy Award winning producer, but I was this actor trying to make it into feature films. And a lot of my early productions, I was not approved um, as the actor. I did a picture produced called Starman that uh, Jeff Bridges uh, did, got nominated for Oscar. I wanted to play that part. Uh, I wasn't. Um, approved by the studio uh, at that time. So I think you just have to be uh, open and collective. Also, you know, this, this Me Too movement has been phenomenal in bringing women into our industry uh, more than ever, ever before. And I, I, I gotta say, it is amazing, but I think it's also time to be kind to each other. All right, let's just, we, we know there's been some mistakes by, made uh, by a lot of people or some people. But I don't think it's a large, a large population. And I, and I do feel the vibe that it is important to remember that we all need to love this process and to be kind to each other. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Oh, you got a mic. You next. Go. Give her next. Thank you. you go. Go. You go. Michael, my name is Michael J. Herman, and I have a question about your use an actor. So, as far as I know, you and Catherine have never made a film together. Is it because you haven't found the right script? Is it that? Is it a, a choice you've made because? Well, we have a nice marriage. Nice <laughs> <laughs> boy. No, we did a movie. We did a movie called Traffic. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, although we were not in the same scene, we were in the same movie. It just hasn't hasn't happened. Part of it also is that with kids growing up, we've had kids ever since we were married. We actually had our child before we got married, our first child. So we tried to um, overlap. Somebody was home and the other one was working. So we probably the reason. Are you open now in this point of your careers to something together? Sure, we're always we're always uh, open. Okay, we're gonna send something. <laughs> <laughs> Firstly, uh, Michael, I'm actually working on Ratchet right now, uh, so it was so fascinating to hear you um, speak about One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and that, um, and that, and What was the name of the movie? Uh, it's a series it's called Ratchet. Ratchet. It's a Ryan Murphy new Netflix show, and I see your name on the call sheet every day. Wow. Um, anyway, I just, I grew up in South Africa, 
loving movies, loving storytelling, watching all the movies you've talked about today, and I truly feel like I'm living the dream, and it's just, the, thank you for being such a huge inspiration in my journey. Um, I'm a director now, and I love it so much. Um, I'm just curious, I've always seen you both as actors first, and I'm curious, do you see yourselves as producers first or actors first? No, I, 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 lo I love acting. I mean, producing just allows you to keep yourself busy and not going nuts. You know, you kind of act, but, sure. You know, I, 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 I love acting, and, and God knows Danny does not, you know. You can tell he has no interest in performing. Gotta <laughs> <laughs> get, get another gig pretty soon. Gardening. <laughs> I like gardening. <laughs> Very much. Working out like there. Peter Sellers in it. Working out there with my plants. <laughs> <laughs> Now that it's legal. Full circle. Full circle. Very nice. Thank you very much. Anyway, thank you for being a huge inspiration in my journey. Sure. Please go. Is anybody else? Is that? Is, are you raising your hand back there? 
They're trying to feel the air. I was wondering if you could both talk, Michael as a producer and Danny as an actor, about what it was like working with Francis Coppola on The Rainmaker. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh right. Yeah. You produced The Rainmaker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were good, too. I gotta talk. I gotta talk. Uh, about he, the last check I got. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I I had very little. Once that picture got going, I had very little direct involvement. It was in the hands of Francis Ford, who was wonderful. And I remember then those were just when computers were starting and, and emails. And he was wonderful in keeping me up to date. Um, as to what was going on, but that was really his baby, and I'm very grateful for it. Danny is wonderful, and also this one, this, this new actor. I said, this kid's gonna be great, this kid, Matt Damon. So he's, uh, he's, gonna be, he's gonna be really good. Yeah, we had, we had a great time on that movie. I, I'll tell you one quick story, it was like, Francis was on the set all the time, and, and you know, I, I did, hadn't known him before this experience, and, uh, he had the silverfish, you know, the thing with, that's a famous thing that he would always be in and directing and all this, blah, blah, blah. And he was on the set. In the first couple of weeks, I said to him, I walked up, I said, look, Francis, I love working with you. It's really great. We're having a good time. But I'm really not getting the Coppola experience. <laughs> and he said, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, your, your reputation is that you sit in the in the trailer and you direct from the silverfish. <laughs> and he said, oh, you know, and then we had lunch and that was all fine. Next day I come to work. On the, <laughs> in the set, there are these two big speakers, two big giant speakers. I didn't notice it, I swear to God, I walked down, I was thinking about the scene or whatever I was doing, and uh, the DP's there and I walk in, I really noticed that he wasn't there. And I walk over and I go like this, and he goes, Danny, move to the left. <laughs> what the fuck was that? Danny, just move over to the left. All right. And then the whole scene from the, from the swordfish for me, it was very nice of him. But, he didn't, yeah, that was it. That was like basically, yeah. I mean, so I got the experience. And I said, you know, enough of this shit. Come back on us. <laughs> so somebody up there on top was asked you to know that was just there. Somebody there. The lady up there with a hand up. Yes. There's like six of them. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, my name is Stephanie. What's next for you two together, if anything, that you can tell? Together? Yeah. Well, tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you think I'm here? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Michael! Oh, come on, Dan! Come on, Dan! Oh, you do this just oh, as a friend! Yeah, okay. Yeah. No, I don't know. You haven't found anything. No, we'll look for something to do. Yeah, I'm not sticking my finger up his ass again. Maybe somebody in here has an idea. What's that? Maybe someone in here has an idea. You never know the producers out there. <laughs> Anybody else? We have time. We got time for two uh, more. That's it. The lady over there. I will gladly take the microphone. Uh, I don't. Yay! Yay! 
I have a couple of questions. First of all, thank you all so much for all of this. Uh, I have a quick question for Michael. Do you remember a movie called Running? Long time ago. I, do. I said line L, not line LL. The other question I wanted to ask is when your agent submits scripts, what kind of genre are you looking for? Is it anything specific? Do you, do you want comedy? Do you want drama? What are you looking for specifically? I, I, I have no, I'm looking for something good. You know, material is good. Uh, again, I'm not worried so much about the part as long as the material is good. I mean, I'm having a good time right now because I've been doing this. I've never done any green screen before. I've never done CGI. So I've been doing these Marvel films, this Ant-Man series. Fascinating about CGI. I have a new respect for actors who act when there's nothing, when there's nothing there. And then the streaming area. This is, um, I had one experience before this, the Behind the Candelabra, with Liberace story oh, for yeah. HBO, yeah. Was, that was turned down, basically turned down by every studio, every single studio passed. I mean, uh, you know, Steven Soderbergh, Jerry Weintraub producing, Matt Damon, Kosar, I think it was not expensive, uh, and then HBO. So, you know, the streaming area, cable streaming area, I'm, I'm really excited about it. I'm having a you, great time at Netflix. Do you remember the time you, uh, uh, it was like, I, the first question I had when I heard he was going to do Liberace with Matt Damon. I was on the phone with him and I said, Wow, Michael, are you the top or the bottom? <laughs> Just the way we used to do it, Dad. <laughs> I was kind of jealous, man. Matt Damon, I was a cute guy, you know. What about you? You have a genre you're looking for, Danny? Yeah. Porn. <laughs> Oh, wait a minute, don't rule that out. <laughs> I mean, the older you get, you know. <laughs> so I'm looking good up there. I feel like Robbie did you feel all of a sudden. Hey, I'm respect. Last what the hell's going here. on with you in the audience there? What are you doing? You fell asleep? No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> Try to do stand up. I don't know. Maybe I should do stand up. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. From, honey, where are you from? Uh, yeah, yeah. Poughkeepsie? Uh, what are you doing up there? Picking your toes in Poughkeepsie? <laughs> no, I better not. I don't know. Thank you for being here. Thank you. This is incredible. Um, I'm a producer. I would like to know, as producers, do you, what is in your toolkit when you run down to the last dollar? Are you going to film financers that are shortlist? Is that coming from investors that you've had long-term partnerships with? Where do you get the money when the money runs out? Well, so somebody, somebody screwed up. And somebody made you. You made a big mistake. You made a mistake. If you're down to your, to your last dollar, and yeah. some, something was wrong yeah. on your budgeting and, and all of that. I mean, um, it really depends. It depends what, uh, where you're at, uh, you know, in, in what situation, but if it's a studio picture and everything else, uh, 
something else must have, uh, must have gone wrong. I mean, I, I don't know how to answer that. It's too late. I hate to leave on that, but thank you guys so much for all that. And that's our show. I hope you enjoyed the conversation between Danny DeVito and Michael Douglas about producing and acting and being in film and TV and being pals for more than a half a century. I thought it was really great. It was probably one of the most talked about conversations at the Produced By Conference, which drew a lot of notables. I'll be back with some fun stuff from E3 and looking forward to some more big conferences in the next month. So it's going to be kind of crazy. This is a a wild month for me because I'm actually moving across Los Angeles to Santa Monica. In the meantime, if you have comments about what DeVito and Douglas had to say or about the Produced By Conference or really anything else, uh, leave me an audio message through your favorite site. The site that hosts and syndicates my content, Anchor.fm, makes it easy to leave an audio message. You can also follow me on Twitter at David Bloom or on LinkedIn at David L. Bloom can connect there. I'd love to hear from you and your ideas and what you think's going on. In the meantime, I hope you're having a great time. If you like this podcast, please rate, review, and share it. That helps the magic algorithm machines figure out that I'm really a cool guy and handsome and wonderful, uh, or at least uh, that I have people who like to listen to me. That makes a big difference. And if you really, really, really like the podcast, you can become a supporter. That is uh, also effectuated by DearAnchor.fm, which uh, makes it possible to throw in a few bucks, just as you can do with sites like Patreon, where I have not set something up. But it's a way to help keep the wheels on and the machines, such as it may be, rolling forward. In the meantime, I hope you're great. I hope you're doing well in so many ways, and I hope that I get to have you as part of my audience going forward. Thanks to you. And thanks to my sponsors, this is David Bloom for Bloom and Tech, over and out. You've been listening to Bloom and Tech. I am your host, David Bloom. Thanks so much. And our podcast has been sponsored in this episode by Fabric Media in Venice, California. Take care, everyone.